Hello and welcome to another installment of the Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today, I'm very pleased to say we are joined by Dan Hilden. Dan is one half of the Barcelona podcast and is joining us today as we discuss, you guessed it, FC Barcelona, their season so far, their financial situation, and we'll discuss all things Lionel Messi. So Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, Barca won four Copa del Rey titles in a row between, I think it was 14 and 18, but they won't be winning again this season. I assume you watched yesterday's game. Well, I don't, wouldn't say that. I'm not sure, actually, if they're going to be winning it or not. 2 nothing. certainly Sevilla with a better team, but I wasn't disappointed in any way with Barca's performance yesterday. I, I think I'm more optimistic in that in a transition season, the way Barca's been playing, they've just started playing well since the new year. Griezmann's clicking, De Jong is clicking, Messi's found his not that he ever really gets out of form, but he found much better form uh, basically since the middle of December as well. So I'm not completely saying <laughs> things are over. They've also been on the road for the entire month and there is an injury crisis. So who knows who comes back in the next three weeks? Who knows if Barcelona can continue some of their good form? Uh, and I'm more willing to be complimentary of Jules Conde and scoring the best goal of his career and maybe having the best match of his career. <laughs> a fantastic talent, but I'm going to chalk in more up to Sevilla uh, credit to them, but I also would say that Barcelona were not, we're certainly not out of that game. And Barcelona probably deserved a one nothing instead of the two nothing. Uh, I mean, as far as the defeat, and uh, anything can happen on the reverse side of that. Just two years ago or three years ago, what was it? Barcelona flipped that same number tie, uh, and it could happen again. So that's just the optimistic. <laughs> yeah, and it's a very great start, right? Very yeah. pessimistic for my good self. Uh, it's a while to wait that couple to uh, second leg. Uh, Rakitic came back well was back in, in front of Barcelona and, and grabbed a goal, which was interesting. Papu Gomez for uh, Sevilla. We had a, a, a episode on Serie A and Atalanta last week, and his name crept up as as well. So getting onto the season generally, um, Dan, starting with the, the very start of the season, were you surprised at all with Coleman's appointment prior to the season? I mean, not really. He was one of the finalists before the Setien job. And with the timeline of Bartomeu, knowing that the elections were supposed to be happening this season anyway in 2021 yep. and it would be a new president coming in uh coleman was i, I think understandably one of the shortlisted managers i thought it could have been that and I, I think with the expectations of trophies that uh francisco pimienta who's the barcelona b manager i think he was an option mm -hmm. but i think that just you need at barcelona because of the expectation of trophies and the era of messi maybe pimienta post messi but Pimienta certainly was not a big enough name that was calling out. So Coleman winds up, and I think people around the world kind of forget that in Catalonia, those club legends do have even more cachet there than we might yeah. see on the internet or people whose minds are quickly changed with a few tweets. Um, so I would say that Coleman <laughs> is still in generally good graces. You don't have the fans in the stands, so you can't actually see the um, opinions or the, let's say the recognition for a legend like Coleman managing the club and yeah, so I'm not truly surprised. Looking at his track record, that would have been the only surprise where he had had failures. Uh, for those familiar with Premier League, he had had successes there a little bit, and then he had certainly had failures as well. Then for La Liga, he had, um, we'll say, many, many years ago, I mean, it's over 15 years ago, but he did kind of fall on his face at Valencia a long, long time ago. Yet <laughs> we say that, but yet Joaquin is still playing for Real Betis. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. So yeah, I just think Coleman was predictable in a way, uh, but as far as him 
keeping and remaining his job. The more surprising thing is for a man who has been seen as nothing but stubborn at all of his other positions over 20 years of managing uh, at, at first team level, for a man who has such a reputation of being so stubborn, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that he was willing to go from his normal 4-2-3-1 and commit to switching to the 4-3-3 and Barcelona have had a change in fortune since then as well. Mm, yeah, very interesting. I think his, his management career actually spans almost as far back, well, as far back as the turn of millennium, which for Premier League fans may be somewhat surprising considering it, it took him until 2014 to come to Southampton. He did he did pretty well. Mm-hmm. He then went to Everton, um, where he didn't retain his job, didn't do so well, went to the national team in the Netherlands, and then arrived at Barca. So I think there was this expectation, whereas he'd been at Ajax before, Benfica, big clubs in the in the realms of you know, European history, but to come into Barca after you know jobs in the Premier League at what is mid-table teams might have been seen as a big step up. And I think I think Barca are one of them sides where you expect to see a club legend come through the door. Uh, I think, as you said, it, it it works well with the fans. You know, it's, it's probably good for a president to have someone who's revered with the club come through. Um, but it was always a question of whether or not Coleman can make that step up from his career, which went from final to Hampton, Everton, Netherlands, and then to Barca. So. It seems as if he may be making that step up. And this season so far then, Dan, how, how do you think it's fared under Coleman? They've, 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 I think you mentioned earlier they've won, I think, their last eight uh, La Liga games. Um, so how's it been this season? Well, I always ask people who are already calling for Coleman out, or obviously it's easy, again, hashtag whoever you find to be the, the issue with the club out. And everyone wants major change because they think that that's going to lead to something positive. And for those who had those expectations, I would ask you, with Luis Suarez and, and Rakitic, and this being a transition season where the club, and I know we're going to get into the finances later, but with the finances being the issue, with the upheaval behind the scenes, what kind of expectations were you going to put on Komen when you had? And while Pedri has played very well, he's still just 18. Fatih, yeah. who's a leading scorer for Barcelona before he went down, is 18. So when you have these young players and they're becoming influential figures alongside Messi, at least in this transition season, I wonder what expectations there were. I mean, the fact that Barcelona are in second behind Atletico Madrid, who for for all it must be said about the Liga table this season, Barcelona and Real Madrid aren't too far off what they were last season when they were the two contending Mm. for the title at this point. Atletico Madrid is just in incredible form. And sure, it's Luis Suarez who is firing them at, at the top of the Pichichi table with 16 at the moment. But Luis Suarez was always supposed to leave Barcelona. The problem is that he went to Atletico Madrid. That's the only problem, that if he went anywhere <laughs> else, Atletico Madrid wouldn't be winning the table, and Barcelona would probably be on top of the table if Luis Suarez had gone anywhere but to play for Diego Simeone. And Diego Simeone has built a system that allows for the defense that he wasn't playing. And you go back, it's we written, it's 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 history that we saw, where last season and the season before that, you can't have even a, what Barca does, where they press in their 4-1-4-1, even mm-hmm. that soft press, you cannot have Busquets, Suarez, and Messi pressing together. It's not. It's just not going to work. <laughs> Everyone else is going to run around, but you have to pick and choose the veterans that you have. And I would obviously everyone would choose Busquets and Messi over even over the third leading scorer in club history in Suarez. So I think I always temper and I'm not really answering your question, but I would say (laughs) of what this transition season was supposed to be. Was it ever going to be trophies? Probably not. But Barcelona, Mm. I mean, PSG, it still happened depending on when this comes out. But I mean, PSG, it's still up in the air. You don't know. Messi is still the best player in the world. And then you have the Copa del Rey, which, yes, you have to flip that tie. But if you wind up flipping that tie, now it's just one final and you get a trophy. You you 
crashed out of the, not crashed out of, but they, they allowed Athletic Club to take the Supercopa, Spanish Supercopa, right out of their hands. And then you have La Liga, which is an uphill battle, but they're the second place team there. Who could have expected that in a season where you'd say, that, that's what I always see, that it's calamitous for Barcelona. They're having a disastrous season. They're second in the Liga table um, in front of Real Madrid at the moment. <laughs> so I, I, I just don't understand what the expectations were. I actually think Barcelona, for all that it is, is right on schedule. You have Messi operating well. You have, as I said, Griezmann, De Jong. We've seen, we've finally seen the best of him. And then you have Pedri and Fati and Sergino Dest was a great purchase as well. I'm biased. I'm an American, but a, a great <laughs> right back spot, hopefully to fortify that. And now the positions you're looking to fortify are a few less. And, and so I, I think it's so far been pretty, again, pretty positive, even though there's been all these moments and everything is calamity every time Barca loses. Yeah, absolutely. This season and maybe the last we've started to see a lot more youngsters get in bed in the Barcelona side. I mean, there's almost been kind of a, unless I'm ignorant to it, but a bit of a gap between obviously the, the La Masia breakthrough that happened during the Guardiola era, obviously the, the stars, and even with the likes of Borja and Cola Cabon after that, to to now where we're starting to see an, an embedding of, of young players. Uh, another young player, I'm not so certain if he came through La Masia or not, is Arajao at centre-back. And that brings me on to my ne- next question. So Barca have won... Uh, I think it's the last eight in the league, but they've conceded seven in the last four league games. So who are the first choice, first choice centre-backs at Barca? Is that working for them? Well, it was it was Clement Langley and Gerard Piquet to start the season. That's what you would expect. Langley has been in um, not terrible form, but he has not been in great form. And he has found himself basically as the third choice. But in Piquet's stead has come Ronald Araujo, who did come from Uruguay, uh, Boston River, uh-huh. I believe two years ago, but he was signed for Barcelona B. So it's that yeah. whole thing where I, I, outside of it's okay if you call someone coming from Barca B Academy, but uh, if not, either, either way. But certainly <laughs> what he has done before he came to the first team under Pimienta for Barca B is coming in, he had the physical tools. He, he very rarely loses aerial duels. And he's the only player in the Liga who has yet to be dribbled past this season, which is just is a fantastic mark. Wow. That what just how important he's been to Barcelona. And they've been looking for a, we'll say, mobile center back for a long time. In Titi in 2018, when he was at his best, prior to the knee injuries and the World Cup, when he's never been the same player since, he mm. was that kind of player. He was that physical presence. He could also move the ball. Now, Araujo doesn't really move the ball well on the ground, but when he's partnered with someone like PK, it makes a lot more sense. But when he's partnered with Langley, now you have two center backs that don't really make sense. And also you see why Man City are linked, or rather Man City's Eric Garcia is so linked to Barcelona. That's kind of the profile that Barcelona are looking for, though. A center back who can play the ball in that uh, in, in that style, and next to him will be someone like Araujo who can clean up all the fires and can do all the things in, physically in the air. So I think even though Araujo has taken PK's spot, at the moment, the best two center back combination would be Piquet and Araujo. And why did Barcelona lose 2-0 to Sevilla? Well, Lenglet is out of form. Umtiti has been a shell of himself once again, having finally been healthy after t- two or three seasons. And no disservice to Oscar Mangueza, who has been... Uh, he, now, you want to talk La Masia. He's been there since he was eight or ten years old or something. He's been at every level of the academy that you could be for almost 20 years. <laughs> but the player in uh, Mangueza, who is still kind of figuring out what it's like to play at first team level. And I never thought he had the potential to do so, but he's actually been a really pleasant surprise for me. And he's been up to the challenge to play both right back and center back and fill in. And you're okay if he's your fifth center back, but if you have to throw Miguetha into important uh, trophy deciding matches, yeah. now, now you have a little bit more of an issue. So I would say that unfortunately for Barcelona, they're two 
best defenders at the moment are both on the on the medical table with PK and Araujo. And Araujo, as I said, has been another one of those youngsters. He's still 21, 22. So he's another one of those youngsters that there are a lot of positive, positive signs about to say that, hey, this transition season was not a loss season because those are two different things. Yeah, that's a really interesting point on, on Araujo in this, in this breakthrough season. And it's with Barcelona, you never quite too sure in this transition period who's going to really emerge from it as a as a victor in terms of has performed really really well and those who, who won't perform as well but on Titi in particular um you know my flat were talking about this earlier is he's had this troubled knee which i believe he's refused surgery on or he, he's refused treatment on consistently so what i've always wanted to know it's one of those things which is which is kind of common knowledge but i wanted to kind of ask your point in it so what is it exactly he has, a, he has like a chronic knee problem which he will never have proper surgery on. Is that the gist of Ntiti, which is why he has all of these niggles? Well, he refused surgery for the 2018 World okay. Cup. And at that point, uh, he now it just is a matter of he tried to let it heal nat- naturally. Okay. And so he might have minor procedures with cl- that clean up, but it's never really the full scale uh, thing that would have taken him out for months, but also made him miss the 2018 World Cup. So looking back on his career, he's going to have to say, was it worth it? And I think for him, it was. I mean, he went to Barcelona, he got the bank, he, yeah, he didn't win Champions League in Barcelona. He didn't help Barcelona fly as high as they could have, but he was still an FC Barcelona player and he still won a World Cup with France in 2018. Mm-hmm. So he's going to look back as a successful career, but he is becoming or has, I would say, become in the last few seasons as good as Clement Langley has been as a one on one defender after coming over for, um, from Sevilla two and a half seasons ago. He's not really that top, top, top caliber player you'd want him to be for a Bayern or a Barcelona or. Uh, again, whoever's the top club in, in in the Premier League at the moment, Liverpool, or even though I know they don't have center backs, but Liverpool, PSG, whoever it may be, Langley is always a third center back on that team, I, I think, at his at his best. And that's the unfortunate thing about Umtiti, that at his best, at his best, he was a top five, top 10 center back. He can play the ball on the ground. Physically, he could track down tackles, aerial duels. He was fine. He wasn't he wasn't uh, Virgil van Dijk, but he was very good. He would win the majority of them. Uh, and next to PK, it was it was it was a wonderful combination. So I'm not saying that he was Carlos Puyol because we only saw him really for one season. It was that twenty it was that 2017-2018 season where MTT showed what he was capable of. Uh, and so it's one of those where if a player keeps showing you who they are now, you kind of have to believe them that the 2017-2018 season winds up being it was a while ago. It was a long time ago, and MTT is just not that player anymore. And it's unfortunate because at this stage, uh, he's not really worth at the wages he's on. It's hard to sell him. There are a number of players, Barcelona. I know we're going to go into the <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want. I don't want to spoil anything. But yeah, <laughs> have some issues in terms of their wage bill. And MTT is just another part where he's his transfer fee isn't really worth it. And play and other teams are not. They're not willing to pay the wages of a 27 year old who should be. I'll use that term. I know. I know it's a hotbed term, but world, he should be world class because he's on the mm-hmm. wage of a world class defender. But he is certainly not world class and never will be again. Mm, yeah, spoiler alert for the rest of the episode just there. But yeah, <laughs> he is an example of a player who oh, signed quite a long time ago and at the time possibly a high fee for a centre-back. But as you said, injury problems have, have plagued the uh, the centre-half and it hasn't always worked out too too well. Um, so moving up the pitch, and I'm not going through the whole 11 here, but I do want, you know, the theme as we're going to go on to will be, we will get into signings of the last few seasons, contracts and how... The debt levels have risen. So uh, a very recent sign in the last couple of years, Frankie de Jong. I'm very interested to know, and I think a lot of listeners would be as well, is not only is Frankie de Jong, how, how is he doing? But what 
role is he occupying at Barca? I remember everyone saw everyone. He came to to light for the Ajax side, playing that kind of quarterback position where he was just r- running. He was like he was like Modric, how Modric Modric was for Croatia in the World Cup, uh, or for Real Madrid, like he was running that midfield. So what's his role at Barca? I mean, well, guys, I told you. I mean, I know we didn't sign a contract for this interview, but I told you if you bring up a Real Madrid player, you get out, you get have a hard time for me after that. So <laughs> I, I, I can't hear, I can't hear Modric, but uh, no, I mean, for De Young, I, I would say too. I mean, as funny as it was, that was the only time I think. Uh, I mean, I'm not just a podcast host, as like a professional journalist, as I consider myself as, as like a an yeah. online challenger, whatever I do. It was the one time I really put my foot in my mouth where it looked like De Young was going to PSG. It was all it was all done and dusted, and I, I put out a, an article that was more opinionated than I would ever do before, just lamenting the fact that Barcelona had missed out on the player that I thought was going to be the most important midfield piece for the next decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and as as hurt as I was, and as happy as and elated as I was when De Jong wound up coming to Barcelona, I still believe that since uh, even though he struggled to not really find that position where he came in, and you're right at the defensive midfielder spot. I would remind people too about De Young that even though semifinals of the Champions League with Ajax uh, from that pivot position, maybe not even a, a pivot position in the way that we think of Busquets, more so even a a, a dribbling. Uh, I'm not. It's, it's an Italian term. Not even regista. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm finding a hard time with it. But I know this is an, a, usually an English audience. So I would say much more a Steven Gerrard, where he could pick the ball up and much more willing to dribble with it and get forward. Not necessarily score too many goals. For Ajax, uh, but just as you said, quarterback the team is a pretty good uh, instance to say. He also had played mm. an Ajax half of that time with the first team at the center back position. And when he came to Ajax, he was already a 19 year old. He only spent, I think, a half a season or a full season with young Ajax, both between center back and defensive midfield. So he really hasn't been even a midfielder very long. And what has brought the best out of him this season, particularly the last two months, is since Coleman switched to that 4 3 3, he's playing, if you will, almost a new position for him, which is that right interior. And surprise, surprise that not only did it solve Barca's issues, that having Polino two years ago and having Arturo Vidal last season, they never really fit what you consider Barcelona because since Xavi and Iniesta left individually over, over a few seasons, obviously the 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 Emerald City, if you will, or the, the holy grail for Barcelona fans and Kool-Aid is to somehow replace Iniesta and Xavi and mm. see that again, right? And we know that obviously that's impossible. Yeah. Top you know, for me, here's bias, top six midfielders ever, but most people would say top 20 midfielders are Iniesta and Xavi to ever play the game. So it's impossible <laughs> to ever replace those two, especially to replace them together. It's it's a statistical anomaly. That said, De Young now moving into that interior spot has allowed him to have the defensive coverage of going into the box more. And that's why he's has he has five goals in his last eight games. He's scoring a clip. Mm. He's never scored in his career. He's making those runs in the box, and that's opening things up for Griezmann. It's it's no coincidence that these two together are now in form at the same time. Last 10 games for Antoine Griezmann, seven goals and six assists. Last season, just to compare Griezmann, I know the question was about the young, but Griezmann, it works in tandem. 48 games for Griezmann last year and 15 goals, four assists. This season now, 29 games, 12 goals, and eight assists. He's a player that, that being Griezmann, that is thriving on the fact that De Jong is now making space for him inside yeah. the box. And now Barcelona don't have to play Martin Brothwaite at the number nine. And <laughs> as much as Martin Brothwaite, I mean, not only is he a good person off the field, he seems like a, a really great chap, but Brothwaite isn't necessarily a player good enough to beat Sevilla in the Copa del Rey semifinals. He's not the kind of player that you can throw against PSG and hope to break down their back line. Martin Brothwaite can win you a match against Deportivo Alaves. He doesn't really score too many goals either, but what he does do is he he takes the center backs away from Griezmann and Messi. And there is enough space for them 
against, we'll say, the minnows of a league, even though the league is a pretty deep league. There are enough space, there is enough space, rather, for Griezmann and Messi to operate with with Brothman against that competition, but you can't take that step up. The, the step up in competition is when you need De Young and Griezmann and Messi and Pedri behind, because I hope yeah. the next question is about Pedri here. Uh, but yes, De Young, changing <laughs> that interior has really brought the best out of him. I think there's still a little bit more to go. Is he a real box-to-box midfielder the way you'd expect um, Paul Pogba at, in his Juventus days? No, not necessarily. But De Young is much better now finding the game. And the issues always continue to be on the defensive side of the ball. But Barcelona want to win through their possession. They still want to win with the ball. And so the problems are always going to persist without the ball. Yeah, I suppose it's become a question of whether or not football has become more multifunctional these days. I mean, I think Iniesta was very multifunctional because he played central midfield, attacking midfield, and was often found drifting left for Barca. Then your players like Xavi, Xavi and Sergio Busquets, um, typically, you know, more holding players, maybe have a, have a singular function rather than being kind of um, like multifunctional in that sense. Um, no longer specialists in the game, more this idea that you can have players playing in multiple, in multiple positions. I just love Martin, how Martin Brathwaite played for Middlesbrough and then ended up at Barcelona. It just, <laughs> free Martin Brathwaite. But uh, yeah, I know it's because of the embargo um, and, and co. And yeah, get back to your, your point about me mentioning a Real Madrid player. I was actually also mentioning when I mentioned quarterbacks and Modric for Croatia, his game against England in the World Cup semi-final mm. absolutely broke my heart. Uh, <laughs> and I, That's why I remember it so well is because I just remember it being extra time. Probably like just after the second half and England were they were run dead. They couldn't. They just couldn't play anymore. They they ran themselves into the ground. But Modric was still running all over the pitch, and that's what I saw with De Jong and Ajax. And it, yeah, brought up. You know, what it, is that the case for De Jong at, at Barca? But it seems like he's actually got a, a multi-functional functional role. So yeah, so move on to your. You know, by request, how has Pedri been in this Barca team? Then is he is he a starter regular uh, now? Is he very fun- is he important to the way they they play? Yeah, well, I think the thing that people get on De Jong about actually is that he seems to run and Ricky Pooj as well, who's come, even though he's come from the Academy, they seem to run a little bit more than they need to. What made Iniesta and Xavi so, so good. What what made them the top players that they were is that they let the ball do the work and they yeah. let the ball do the running for them. And so De Jong, sometimes he takes a, a few extra little touches he doesn't need to. And I don't know if that means that he needs to change his game or if he's even capable of that. It, there's a special sauce that you, that you need to, <laughs> to do that. And that's what Pedri has. And Pedri, even at 18, I mean, coming over from Las Palmas in the second division, I watched him a few times last year. He was their most influential player down in the second division at 17. Yes, he's very, very tiny, but he understands how to use his body quite well. And Pedri has, it's hard for me because with you talk about young players, whether it's Fati or Pedri, you're speaking about two of the top teenagers in the world. So when you're speaking about average players that come up through the academy and Pedri, I know, didn't come from the academy, he came from Las Palmas, but he plays as if he had come through the, the Barcelona Academy. So he's almost an adoptive son in that <laughs> way. But young players who come up in that way, it, it is they are statistical anomalies and they are anomalies in the way that they are prepared for first team football. Uh, and it's almost a reminder that for those who might say, oh, Dest had a, a poor run of three or four games or Trincao finally got his first goal and he's at the age of 20. Even Araujo, if he were to mistakenly or he'd have a few issues, one or two matches where he'd be poor. You start to ask certain questions, but Fati and Pedri, it's hard to break down issues in their game. Now, Fati has some decision-making uh, issues, where pic- particularly with Luis Suarez when he's playing off number nine. Sometimes he he takes shots when he shouldn't, but I'd prefer an 18-year-old to take that shot instead of not take that shot because yeah. they'll wind up going in later down the road. But on Pedri, I don't want to overhype young players, and I don't want to say, hey, this teenager has no faults. He's just going to keep getting better and better. But Pedri 
is so solid. And as you mentioned, in the kind of player that he is, he does everything so well, and he understands the game in like a 35-year-old midfielder that's been that's been around <laughs> multiple leagues. I mean, it's it's that incredible. I mean, this season he's played as an attacking midfielder in a 4-2-3-1. He's played on the left wing in that same 4-2-3-1 when necessary. He's played in a double pivot. And even in, against Granada, when Barcelona came back, in extra time, when Ricky Puj and De Jong, and they were all playing together, he was playing almost as the other center back next to Ronald Araujo. Maybe not doing it in the way that you'd expect him to do it, but adding that extra coverage as Barcelona had possession as the deep, deep, deep lying pivot. And so his versatility just shows you his understanding of the game. And when Messi has been thriving at his best, it's not because of combinations with De Jong or with, uh, or, or with Coutinho, certainly, or with Griezmann. But other than Jordi Alba, You've seen the best out of Messi working through Pedri and working off of Pedri. He just has mm. an understanding of the game that is just superior to all else. And he does have that. The only reason you start, you don't compare his ceiling to Andres Iniesta because, again, that's impossible. And the thing I always <laughs> say is that I don't, if if he becomes the next Iniesta, we'll never say that because we'll say he's the next Pedri. Same thing with De Young. We're never going to say that De Young is the next XYZ player. He'll just become yeah. De Young. Yeah. And that who do you compare Messi to before that other than, yes, Pele and Maradona, but Messi became the first Messi, one of one. And so Pedri, my hope is that he becomes one of one. He said, wow, his game is very likened to Iniesta. But as the modern game changes, Iniesta was playing in that 4-3-3 when Guardiola's team and pressing and when that style ruled world football. Mm. As football changes, Pedri, I'm hoping, is a player that fits perfectly the next iteration, the next 10 years of football in the world as ideas change and the game continues to evolve. And I hope he's exactly that player that Barcelona and then the modern game is calling for. And for what we've seen of this of this this 18-year-old player, yeah, I'm sure I'd hope he adds a few goals and I hope that he adds uh, just a little bit more influence. He does seem to fade in and out of matches, but he's also played in more matches than any other Barcelona player. Not minutes, but played in more matches. Uh, rather, let me put the emphasis there on the right one. <laughs> played in more matches than any other Barcelona player. So Coleman has thrown him out there, and he has been up to the call each and every time. So it's really hard for me to be critical of Pedri because not only has he exceeded all expectations, but he is proving that he does have the potential as long as Kool-Aid are willing for this diamond to really, really start to shine. And it's the same thing I say about Fati. People always ask me, should he play number nine? Well, in four years' time, if you move his position to, I, I think almost like Mark, Marcus Rashford, if you move his position in four years' time to the number nine spot, Fati is still just 22 years old. So let's relax. <laughs> with Pedri. Pedri could have two poor seasons after this one, and he still had a fantastic season, and he's still only 20 years old. If that, if that makes any sense. So it's just in context of how we hype up these young players and how we understand them. Pedri has exceeded all expectations. And whenever I hear a conversation about Barcelona, when you don't talk about Pedri or don't bring him up in that conversation, I know you haven't watched Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, I think it's almost an assumption that the younger they come through, because they're being selected by a team like Barcelona at a younger age, that there's almost this expectation that therefore they're going to be better than the, the player that perhaps came through at a later date. So, I mean, maybe it's because the Messi kind of, <laughs> the Messi complex, Messi came through so early. So then he became, he, we came on to become the one of the best players in the world. And so we always expect that when someone comes through at such a young age that they are that star. And when they have a bit of a dip, then people don't seem to be able to deal with that and seem to just chuck that kind of good um, report out the window. Well, I, th I think it's a little bit, though, of an infatuation with, with wonderkins across all of football. I think it's certainly a Barcelona Academy pro uh, 
uh, issue. But I think people, it's revealed in his history that Iniesta didn't really break in and become what we know of Iniesta until he was 23, 24 mm-hmm. years old. And same thing with Xavi. He didn't really break in until he was, I mean, 24, 25 is when he really became the Xavi that we know and understand for, for club and country. And I even look across the rest of world football that the second that Phil Foden, when he was even three years ago, when people were saying, why isn't he starting next to De Bruyne? And yet you've finally seen what happened with Guardiola when he brought him along slowly and the player that he's become. Uh, and so I would say that just with all these young players, it's a little bit of patience required. But yes, yeah, certainly any any team, especially Barcelona, who takes such pride in their academy and are yeah, waiting yeah. for the next Iniesta or Xavi, which, as I spoke about before, generationally, you're never going to repeat that. You're never going to get Xavi, Iniesta, Pique, Busquets. Um, you're never going to get them all in the same generation again. It's just it's impossible to have that much talent in one locale and one central location in one <laughs> academy like that. The it's just and because those players all became first team regulars and legends of the game, it's a lot harder to unseat them than it was. I mean, if we're trying to remember, now you're talking, you know, what, 18, 20 years ago, who was it that Xavi had to unseat, right? It's it's Koku, it was even Deco, what for Busquets, I mean. And so you're you're talking about a different level of, of player who's who you're now trying to replace, these absolute mammoth Goliaths of, of the sport. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to have uh, male threats from Manchester United fans who say that the class of 92 was even better than the La Masia revolution <laughs> to Guardiola, which I definitely do not subscribe to. Uh, so a, a final kind of question, which is a, a fairly broad question in uh, this section, Dan, um, would be on our three mega signings in the last three years of just this season in particular, how have Griezmann, Dembele, Coutinho done? I mean, I know Coutinho has now been laid off with injury. It doesn't look like he'll be back uh, for a while. It looks as if he, it looks as if Barca are trying to trying to ship him off in some form, given his contract. And um, I know Dembele and Griezmann have played a lot more. How have they fared this season? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with Coutinho. I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I think to fit Griezmann, Messi, and Coutinho all together, you had to play in that four-two-three-one, mm. and it, it's no coincidence and no correlation, uh, and that's sarcasm. That when Coutinho did go down, and Coleman, not because of Coutinho, but when he switched to that four-three-three. Not only did you get better out of De Jong, Pedri had uh, a little bit more influence on the game, uh, but when Coutinho's to come back, I mean, who knows if Messi will even still be around, so that might be new questions to ask then next season. But for Coutinho, even this season, if he tries to come on for the last few weeks, I don't even know where he goes in this 4-3-3. I don't know where he fits as, as a player for this system. He occupies the same space as Griezmann and Messi. That's the problem with Griezmann. He occupies the same spe- uh, place as Messi. And so he really has had to change his game alongside Messi and that goes back to that 4-3-3 and changing that up that now Griezmann is playing as a secondary striker but Messi is so influential Griezmann has had to learn where the space is going to be to work off Messi and the way that Messi does drag not only one defender but two or three defenders and how can he that being Griezmann make himself useful and as I said with that change in formation he's been really good with 12 goals and eight assists in 29 games not too bad at all I mean the question for Griezmann was going to be could he score 20 goals. And right now he's on pace for about 20 goals. And you think that if Fati, he, I, I don't know about his injuries, but he might be able to come back this season. And if Fati winds up with 10 or 12 goals, then you did well there. Then Messi gets his, maybe not his mm. normal. He, he's down normal, but he's still, you know, top of the Pichichi next to, right underneath Suarez. He's got 13 goals already just in the Liga, not to count the other competitions. And then on the point of Dembele, I think there is where the optimist lies. Uh, the optimism lies where even though Coutinho, the problem about shipping his out is that there's still, and again, this is about the finances stuff, there's still so much money owed to Liverpool even for Coutinho that mm. you can't really ship him off for even less than what you owe another team. 
It, it just throws everything out of whack. And so Coutinho, no team is going to in any way take the price that he might be valued at uh, or an inflated price that Barcelona would want to sell him on to try to make up for some of the, what, $126 million that he <laughs> to come to the club, uh, Euros. Uh, and I, I mean, and so Coutinho, certainly a question. I try not to be so negative about it, but I don't see how he fits at Barcelona moving forward. If you ask me if I take P- Pedri or Coutinho, it's Pedri. He's been so much more influential in this half a season that Coutinho was for the two seasons he was with Barcelona. And then, yeah, Bayern Munich, he was doing well as a super sub coming off the bench. Same thing we saw with James Rodriguez at Bayern Munich. That's what they mm. did with him, and it worked for them. So Coutinho, I mean, I hope the best of the player somewhere else. And then Griezmann, Messi's going to leave eventually. And I guess you hope that Griezmann is surrounded by all these young talents who are continuing to evolve. And he winds up becoming um, an offensive talisman of sorts. Certainly nowhere near Messi, but he winds up becoming more influential when Messi leaves. And he starts to pick up in those areas as well. And we've seen that when Messi is out, that Griezmann, there are times when he can be a little more influential uh, without without him. But the help that's going to come for Griezmann, not only through Fati and Pedri and uh, Puj and whoever it may be, it's Dembele. And Dembele this season... It's almost a silver lining. I mean, it's hard to be optimistic about Fatih's injury, but Fatih goes down and Dembele had trouble, troubles to start the season. Dembele comes back for a hot second, then gets injured again. Now that he's come back the second time after Fatih has been out now for this extended period, Dembele for the first time in his Barcelona career, and I, I, I'm serious here, the first time in his career, <laughs> he's together more matches than he ever had in his previous three seasons. And I think we really are starting to see him mature as a player. His decision-making is getting better, and he's finally finding some kind of rhythm. And believe it or not, I know everyone says that he's chaos, that he makes up his mind at the last moment. But finally finding rhythm with your teammates and building that chemistry is very helpful to a quick twitch player like Dembele. And we've seen him combined well with Alba on the left. We've seen him combined well with uh, Dest on the right. And so he is doing well. And he's a two-footed player that's always going to be dangerous. He just adds that extra wrinkle. And when Fadi comes back, I mean, the, the idea that you'd have a front three of Griezmann, Messi, and 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 Fatih, and then you can bring Dembele on in the 60th minute, or the inverse of that, you bring Fatih on in the 50th minute or the 60th minute to really unbalance an, uh, an opponent, it makes that Barcelona strike force look as strong as it's supposed to. So I've been really optimistic that Dembele, who now might be working on renewal, is for the first time ever actually healthy, and the, for the first time ever putting together consistent games and while the assists and the goals might not be there they don't really need to be because of how much he imbalances opponents so i've been optimistic i mean it, yeah it's basically positive negative and somewhere in the middle and <laughs> mla i've been pretty positive coutinho it's just it's very negative and then griezmann he's in good form so I, you, t- you take it you spend a lot of money for him he's got to produce and right now he's producing so he's been not worth his price tag but at least he's trying to play for it i think um the theme that I was getting from that dan was essentially with those three players in particular, were high fees paid at specific times in recent history of Barcelona and to varying degrees of success. Obviously, Dembele has come quite good and continue, as you rightfully said, hasn't quite managed to fit. But on the on the backdrop of that, as I'm sure you're, you're aware, has been debt. Debt, debt and, and more debt kind of has been, has been touted a lot with, with Barcelona. And I think for a lot of people, every club has debt. You know, I well, know not every club. There are a few clubs that are running in profit. Um, I know Atalanta are, are one of the few that do. But how how bad is Barcelona's debt situation at the moment? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I know you brought me on. So really bad is not a good enough answer. I know I have to extra- just extrapolate on that. Uh, <laughs> but what I will say about the the debt and going back to even the Neymar signing and speaking about the signings that I, I honestly believe in 15, 20 years, we're going to look back at Neymar leaving Barcelona for PSG 
And then we're going to look at this, obviously, the the pandemic and what that has been done to football finances. And I do believe that those two instances are going to be the moments that we remember from this 10-year period of football or 15-year period of football in terms of what has changed the market, what has changed how how business is done in football, honestly. And I, I think, obviously, the purchase of PSG and Man City by the organization and by, by the ownership groups, mm. if you will, that, that own them, that certainly, obviously, is the thing that actually changed football. Uh, forever because uh, Neymar doesn't go to a club that, that doesn't have the funds to be able to to pay his astronomical and uh, at that time his 220 million euros was his buyout um, but that was also the moment when Barcelona yeah Neymar leaving was not their fault but everything after that almost became self-inflicted it was obviously Dembele Dortmund was able to to, to gouge Barcelona for maybe 40 to 50 million euros more than he was than he that at his that his market value at the time that puts you in a hole. And then Coutinho, the, the desperate need for Coutinho from Liverpool. And the crazy thing about that is how much is still owed to Liverpool and the ways that it wasn't even the the upfront cost even. It was the way that the the money was then distributed for other payment periods. And that is where we lead into the pandemic. And it's not an excuse for, for Barcelona because when you when you run your finances on a on, on a knife's edge, on a razor's edge like that, certainly a pandemic is going to to, to meet calamity. And uh, I mean, again, it's not an excuse, but with the pandemic, and I, I know the, the leaking of Messi's contract was a big point about this as well. Barcelona, because of the size of their stadium and because of the what's called the, the, the Camp Nou experience and, and the museum and all those different things, mm -hmm. because of the money that they bring into the gate and because of the tourism that Barcelona attracts and because of the tourism around the club and the revenue that Messi produces as well, uh, just on game days they wind up making such a profit. They wind up making such a revenue. However, the combination of paying huge wages and Messi is both the, the again, the, the, the success story here, but he's also the, the negative because then his yeah. salary wound up leading all the other contract negotiations, whether it's for Busquets or Titi, De Young, all of them, their contract negotiations are built on the back of the wages that are paid to Messi. So it wound up being just unsustainable. So that's why Barcelona is 73% of their uh, of their of their budget, if you will, uh, is in the wages, and the the percent that is over the mark in the Liga is seventy percent. So their wages are just so much higher than every other club in the world, and they have players who've been willing to take salary reductions. And the other thing to to, to be mentioned too is that I believe in in the UK those wages are paid bi-weekly or weekly or even monthly. And in Spain, the difference is those wages are paid in two six-month intervals. And so all that money and all those decisions that are made, all those contract negotiations over the course of a season, they add up. And so when you had a pandemic, it really was the the, the straw that broke the camel's back in this way. I mean, I'm not going to bore your listeners with all the all the, the amount, but Barcelona at the moment, and I was looking at this too with Tottenham. Tottenham owes a lot of money, more than mm -hmm. Barcelona in the long term. Barcelona's issue, and here's why, that Barcelona is... They're not going to go bankrupt. They're one of the three teams in Spain with Real Madrid Athletic Club that are still owned by its members. So something will happen. And if they can get fans back in the stadium and they can get that museum back up and running by April or May, you're talking, you're having a different conversation about the issues that they're having. But if this pandemic continues on and the longer it continues on, the worse shape Barcelona is going to be in and the closer it might be to some kind of cataclysmic event like bankruptcy. But the club in the short term, still owe 126 million euros. They only owe overall, I mean, I say only, but they owe 196 million overall to for, for outstanding payments in different locations. But as I said, 126 million of that is in short-term sums. And so if they can pay off or find a way 
to pay off that $126 million. And they've also taken on a loan from Goldman Sachs, which is pretty horrifying because they're owing that for, I mean, decades and decades. I mean, you think mm -hmm. a new president is going to change that. It's going to be four or five presidents down the road until that debt is finally done. And you're also looking at the ways that Barcelona are going to have to really get desperate. A new president, I mean, because there's a, a currently a, a managing com committee, there's not an interim president, if you will, and Carlos Tusquets, he can't make decisions or have members vote in the General Assembly on naming rights of the stadium or big decisions that really affect the club's revenue moving forward. He's also doing it during COVID. So Carlos Tusquets has not done a great job anyway. I mean, continuing to push back the elections. And the hope is obviously that a, a president is going to put forth ideas. And even if they're ideas that kind of make you, you scrounge your face, Barcelona are in desperate time. So that president, which is most likely Juan Laporta, I know the question coming on that, but most likely <laughs> Laporta, he's going to have to convince the socios about not only how bad things are financially, but what it's going to take to get Barcelona out of this hole. I believe that they're going to be able to get out of this hole, but it might take uh, again, I, 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 I've been pretty steadfast and I know it's pretty crazy and I changed my mind and content is king. So I can, I have a license to change my mind, but I think <laughs> the only purchase that Barca should make in the next two seasons is Erlen Holland, where they should promote from within. There is enough academy products at the positions of need being defensive midfield and left back. There are the right, the right prospects are in the right spots with the exception of a number nine, where there is no prospects whatsoever until you're talking who now, ah, which is 15, 16 year olds. So there really are no center forward solutions at all coming through the ranks. So Barcelona should basically bide their time. I mean, yes, Eric Garcia, if he comes on a free, Memphis Depay, if he comes on a free, you can wind up getting players on free transfers, but you're going to have to make sure that you say no to them. And I think Laporta is a president who showed in the past when he said no to Ronaldinho and no to Deco and kicked them out, kicked them to the curb because Guardiola asked for it. I think he's a president with the courage, if you will, to say to certain players like a Memphis Depay, hey, if you want to come to Barcelona, you've got to accept this, this wages. I know it doesn't fit our, our previous wave structure, but things run a little differently here. Same thing with Eric Garcia. If you want to come home, it's coming on a free transfer, as, as we know now, coming on a free transfer in the summer for reasonable wages and not completely inflated wages anymore. My next question would kind of be, we touched on it just then in terms of how Barcelona should focus their squad in terms of promoting with, with it, from within and targeting someone like a Erling Haaland to spearhead the attack for the future. But in terms of the biggest stars that we mentioned earlier, who would, because this, this massive wage bill or 73% of, of, of the revenue, who needs to go? Because I'm aware that last summer with the Suarez deal and there's rumours that due to the amount they still owe Liverpool, you know, Coutinho is a bit tricky as well. Who do Barca really need to get rid of to try and push this, uh, push the ship forward in terms of having this new Barcelona with Messi kind of still there as well as the younger players coming through as well? I mean, Messi is a big question, though. So it's, it's almost hard to answer that question at this moment, because if Messi stays, then you're talking about continuing to pay his wages. If Messi leaves, you lose a lot of that revenue. And again, it's impossible to do this equation because we don't know, even with the pandemic, there's so much unknown that if Messi were to leave, it shores up a lot of room on the wage bill. Uh, and but at this point, because he would leave basically for free, you would also get no transfer uh, on, on, on Messi. Um, and uh, most Kool-Aids would want Messi to leave as as soon as it is, because football is a business, uh, the the in the same it's a, it's the same idea about what you want, what your heart wants and what your wallet can actually do. And Messi leaving uh, in some ways, it's going to be positive for Barcelona because you're going to lose his wages, but you also lose all the revenue that he that he makes the club. And Messi leaving is also the catalyst for how many other players need to be shipped off the wage bill as well. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, it's the likes of Coutinho, Umtiti, 
Junior Furpo, Martin Brothwaite, and you're basically able to unload those. And even Pjanic, who came for purely financial reasons, a deal with Juventus for Arter, we know, mm. we now know, and we knew at the time that was done because the when you purchase a player, their transfer fee counts against the the length of their contract after their their, their sign. So Arter, yeah. so Pjanic, so uh, yeah, let me restart that so that Arter he brought in a, whatever it was a 72 million euro f- transfer fee into the club that you were, that they could report last season on the books. And then Pionic doesn't count against or counts against them only in, in parts. And so that's why that's done for both clubs. Juventus isn't much better than Barcelona. If you really look at their numbers either. So both those clubs have wage issues and, and transfer fee issues. So if you, the hope would be that you'd yeah be able to quickly flip Pjanic and Coutinho, Umtiti, Junior Furpo, the players that clearly everyone can see, Neto, the backup goalkeeper, the players that you can clearly see don't really fit even the new Barcelona in the future, right? And then again, Messi is the domino to start all of that. But I think, uh, you know, you have this hope that those kind of things are going to happen. And then you work on Busquets and Alba slowly and PK as well, slowly fading out the older legends and kind of letting them leave almost at their own terms. And PK as well has taken a huge pay cut as well just to be a part of that and you know he's always going to be a part of the club uh so it's really trying to figure out exactly what players are worth and unfortunately the only players that are truly worth their market value are the players that are so young you don't want to sell i mean it would be sad to say if barcelona were in a place where they had to sell um fati because his i mean i know he has a super agent and so if his super agent asked i believe it's jorge mendez and if he's asking for some magnanimous amount for fati then you're just not going to pay his wages and somehow you have to let You'd have to sell Fati before his contract is up for, I mean, he'd go for 120, 140 million euros in this, in this market, but that would be the, 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 the bad road you don't want to go down at having to sell your young talent because you're that desperate for it and you can't sell your other players. But yeah, certainly in a perfect world, you'd want to sell the ones that clearly you can see are surplus already at the moment and you have younger talents getting ready to walk into those spots like a even though he's 17 Alejandro Balde as your backup left back you know that he's a promising young player Alejandro Oriano is a, a defensive midfielder I don't know if the club's really high on him but I've watched him with Barca be a plenty I think he could be a backup for Sergio Busquets and it would work out that way so so what, what you touched on uh what needs to be done in your opinion in terms of the squad and what you do in a messy situation where he stays or doesn't stay would Laporte be the man if he were to come in as president to drive those changes do you think uh because it's one of those things where uh Bartomeu obviously his tenure uh, hasn't looked brilliant in terms of the debt and how Barca have performed but you know Laporte can breathe fresh life to the club and hopefully steer them forward so do you think he'd be the man to kind of drive those changes well I mean I I think even months ago, looking at the three candidates, it was uh, Tony Frescia is, we'll say, the establishment candidate. Uh, Catalan, it's it's odd to say an answer because Catalan politics, and I think a lot of people around the world think that what they see on Twitter and what they see on ESPN FC or or wherever it may be or Sky Sports, uh, that is the voice and what is dictating um, the the elections in in Barcelona. So if you were just on the internet and just on online six months ago, you would have thought that Victor Font was easily the overwhelming favorite. But the minute Laporta said, hey, I'm not necessarily going to announce my plan at the moment, but I'm going to I'm going to do what I did last time. And just the promise of the past, uh, he got a lot of those who he knows really well. I mean, there is a very small circle of Catalan business elites that Laporta has been in that crowd for 40 years now. And Fresh is a part of that crew and Bartomeu and Sandra Roselle going back uh, to, to that name as well, that there is a small select uh, group of people that socios understand in these power positions 
and they've turned on Bartomeu. And if you're a bad president, they're, they're going to try to call you out for it in the same way that Laporta, a vote of no confidence zone was taken out against him in 2007 when the club was not doing so well after they'd won the Champions League uh, before Guardiola came in. Uh, and, and at this point, Bart- Laporta has allowed almost to a degree because Victor Fonson's a new name. He's had a great plan. I thought his project was really good, but it was so reliant on Xavi and Jordi Cruyff who have kind of distanced themselves from him as well that things have kind of fallen apart where he's tried everything he could. He did, he gives a lot more interviews in English and he's really trying to uh, almost get the, 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 the global base to appreciate him and recognize him uh and then you look at polls in catalonia and the socies as they as which are the members of the club that are the only ones who really truly vote on who the president is the socies i mean laporta said hey i got you and they agreed and that's kind of what all the polling is saying and so uh is laporta going to be the guy for that he's going to have to be uh, there's no other option and if you trust that he did it the first time then he's going to be able to do it again my my hope and my belief is that he's going to take some of the ideas of of font and he's going to take some of fonts project maybe not the, the people involved in in fonts projected project but he'll take some of the project and he'll go forward with with some of those ideas because the idea is that if you take the character and the presence of laporta and you combine that with fonts project i think that is the perfect barca president uh it's just going to be that Juan laporta is that president's name yeah so that, that's, that's quite clear i mean yes yeah, one of those things that presidential elections can always be a really interesting affair to kind of see how that all unravels. So in terms of Laporte's immediate uh, things to kind of look at, obviously the Messi we're going to go into in a second, but what else does it kind of have to do with with Barcelona? I mean, I've, I've been reading about the Camp New project and they want to uh, revamp uh, the stadium. Uh, what, what other plans from Font will he should take on board in order to project Barcelona forward? Uh, well, it's a, a lot of, again, it's, it's still unknowns, but it's a lot of sponsorships. Uh, and it's a rededication to what you can say Mexican club or some of the club's values. And so it's the way that business is conducted, even the way where the wages are done and the transfer policy and all those different things that uh, obviously Laporta and Font and any new president would want to say this, that we don't want to run like the president that was just voted out negatively. So the project is... Um, it, as, as, as simple as it might sound, Font's project had been to bring in Xavi and to try to instill these ideas that, hey, if there is young players, we will trust them in those positions as opposed to bringing in major transfers. And instead of accepting the Goldman Sachs loan, we will look locally. We will look through different Catalan businesses and we will spread out there in the way that obviously with Socies, it's, it's high voting or it's good for for positive voting to say that, hey, I want to go back to the idea of UNICEF. And I think most socies are understanding. I mean, their experience, they've been around the block. The, the biggest voter base of socies are in their 50s and 60s and 70s, believe it or not. So it is an, a more conservative, older base who has seen a lot of different things. And I think as frustrated as they are, they understand that UNICEF can't be on the front of your jersey anymore without any other sponsor, especially when you're talking about the man cities and the PSGs yeah. of the world who have that kind of money to throw around. So they're going to have to make sure that they try to uh, uh, just appease the, the socios by making sure they're doing business with, uh, we'll say, organizations and businesses and um, uh, just appeasing the idea of Mexican own club and making sure you package that while also taking care of business in these negotiations. And it's, it's also the, the relationships they have, that Laporta has a good relationship with uh, uh, some powerful people in this world. And that Bartobeu, it seemed like those relationships were soured for him. To wrap things up, then, I think uh, one of the questions I kind of wanted to ask you is the ultimate question, which I think revolves around Barcelona, is 
do you think Messi will ultimately stay or, or will he kind of leave? I think last summer there was a period maybe for like eight days where I really believed he was going to leave. And then as time went on, I didn't think it was going to happen. And obviously this season's Coman's come in. Uh, it seems as if it's changed slightly, but no one really knows. But I wanted to get your take on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm going to certainly dodge this question, but I, I hope I dodge it in a, in a satisfactory way. And, and that is that, and that is that I, I think that because Messi enjoys winning, he, he loves football and he loves Barcelona. So those who say that, oh, look, Barcelona are on a great run of form. He's happy now. He's going to stay at the club uh, or Laporta is going to be able to convince him because he can see that there's a sporting project finally. And he has said to us, and we kind of have to believe him, that he didn't like Bartomeu. He said there was no sporting project. And if he can be sold that Barcelona are, are, are attempting in the next three, four years, we don't know how long he has left in his legs. He might have five or six legs, I mean, five or six years in the way that he plays, in the way that he's become so much of that playmaker. And it's a club that is built around him to basically make up for his defensive failings at this point or his lack of pressing. And he can still give a little bit of pressure here or there. But if they can make make up for everything around him and the system is built like we're seeing this 4-3-3 now around him in the way that it is, there's no reason that you can't get two or three more seasons out of him and then he can go play for Noel's old boys at his boyhood club as he's promised he's always going to do at the end of his career. And he could do that uh, until he's, as we saw with Mascherano or Carlos Tevez. I still, Carlos Tevez is still kicking a ball around, isn't he? Or maybe he just hung it up, but um, until when they're 38, 39, 40 years old in Argentina. So I, I could see that certainly that happening for, for Messi if he can be convinced of this sporting project. I don't think that, he's decided yet. And I think the only other option is Man City. I, I know that he was on the cover of France football and people are making a big deal about PSG, but I really do think the yeah. only option, I mean, he's a, you think about who Messi is and it answers your question as to exactly what he wants. And we kind of have to, again, believe him when he says that he didn't like what was going on. He didn't like Bartomeu, but he wants ultimately to always stay at Barcelona. He loves Barcelona. He would retire Barcelona or it's no old boys. And if he does leave, it's going to be to join Pep Guardiola. It's going to be to join him at Man City. And obviously, they're going to throw um, gobs and gobs and gobs of money at him. And they have a project that's going to win a Champions League potentially with him. So I, I think that's really the only other option. And yeah, I guess PSG, he is, he's a good friend of Neymar and all that stuff. But I think there's a little bit too much hoopla, if you will, at this age and this stage of his career to try to go at PSG, which is an unproven team that's only made one Champions League final last year against Bayern Munich. So, I mean, PSG, how is that any different than what Barcelona are doing? And the difference is his family, he has three small kids. They all live in Barcelona. They all love being in Barcelona. So why would you really uproot your family if you don't have mm -hmm. to? He's always said he's a family man who loves Barcelona and he just wants to win at Barcelona. And so I think there's, yeah, a good chance that he stays. But if he doesn't, that's completely understandable because the reason he's going are the ones he's also said that he wants a sporting project and he loves working with Guardiola and he'd love to work with him again. And I think it's as simple as it is, whether he stays or goes. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. I, I can't necessarily see him being in England or living in England. But like what you said, he's got a, a small, sorry, a young family in Barcelona. He's Spanish speaking. I'm not so <laughs> sure he can speak good English at all because I've never seen, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen you know, uh, any. Well, to, um, that, to that point, what I would add to, about Messi's English speaking or lack thereof is uh, you could say that the, the marketing genius that is Messi potentially not speaking English there's a lot of money that he could have made revenue wise if he had expanded his 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 market to doing other things. But he he gets he he's in the Pepsi commercials. He's in the different the World Cup commercials. He's in them. 
But Messi doesn't like those things per se. He doesn't like being the most marketable player on planet yeah, Earth. And, no, yeah. you know, this is, I know you have fans of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo also listening to this podcast. I, I think that he's a wonderful player. I think Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the greatest goal scorers ever to play. But Ronaldo completely leans into being marketable. Obviously, he spent time at Man United, so he speaks English. But um, if Messi had at any point decided to learn English, his ability to market himself would be tenfold. But Messi, I think, almost on purpose, has dedicated himself so much to football where the English he does speak is only for Guardiola or is only for the people in his little circle. And the English, the the the, the interviews that he would do if he played for Man City, I believe, would probably still be be in Spanish. You need a, you need a translator. I think he's pretty steadfast <laughs> in that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to have him on the Barcelona podcast. So, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I think it's... A- People see Messi as well as like as a purist. Is that kid? They still view him as that kid on the street who's playing with a, f- a small football in 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 Rosario, and I think that's part of it as well. And I think he views himself that way too. I, I think that's actually how he still views himself, even though he obviously makes more money than any of us could ever comprehend. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's no sympathy that in for him, but yeah, I think that's how he's viewed still. And so, I think no one really cares that he doesn't do that, and I think they always admire the fact that. He isn't that kind of media machine or that commercial machine that perhaps Ronaldo is, even though both are revered in their in their own right. But I mean, I'm not going to get into that debate now. But I'm a, a massive Messi advocate, uh, as I'm Ronaldo. But I think Messi, for so many people, is just like a generational a generational player that we grew up watching and learned to revere because he is that kid still that we all were and wanted to be footballers. But instead, we didn't have quite the same level of talent as he did. Um, so yeah, so I think we'll wrap up now, Dan. That was uh, excellent insight on. Uh, pretty much all things Barcelona this season and, and last and, you know, the last few three, four seasons where it really has been a whirlwind in terms of off the pitch and on the pitch. Hopefully we're starting to see the youth come back through. And as you said, when we get, you know, fans back on the door and through the door and the rest of the club can really open up and they can get that revenue back to the door. And hopefully we will start to see the, you know, the resurrection to an extent of, of Barcelona. But yeah, Dan, really appreciate you coming on. Um, and yeah, Thank you so much, uh, and we'll uh, yeah, thanks, guys. We'll catch you again some other time.